0: Good morning. Good morning. We are so thankful to have you here with us this morning um, at Glenlock Baptist Church for Worship. My name is Bryson Shoemaker. I'm the family life pastor here, and I will be bringing the announcements this morning. We have several, um, so I'll do my best to keep them as simple as possible. First, if you are a visitor with us and you would like to fill out a a card, there should be a card in a seat in front of you somewhere that is a welcome card. Uh, we'd love to get to know you more, so those are available to you. Um, if you would fill one of those out, you can place it in the, in the offering um, boxes that are in the, in the welcome area, and uh, we would love to get to know you more. Um, so we're thankful that you're here with us. A couple other announcements we have. One, um, as you can see back there, backpacks are due. So if you filled out a backpack for, um, for Appalachia, then you can leave that in the back. If you forgot to bring it this morning and you need to make other arrangements, um, we can try to connect with you, meet you, get those um, as soon as we can because those are going to the Carrollton Baptist Association annual meeting, which is tonight at 6. So we will have no services here at Glenlock tonight at 6 because we will be going to the Carrollton Baptist Association um, 150th uh, annual meeting. A couple other things that we have coming up. Uh, One is our parent partnership lunch. That's next Sunday following morning worship, and today is the last day to sign up for that. Um, But what that is is basically a lunch where we're going to eat together, and then parents are asked to stay. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about family discipleship, what it looks like to do family discipleship, why it's important, um, and just what the Bible says about parents and guardians being the ones who help, along with the church, to disciple their children. And so I think it's going to be a really helpful discussion. Um, So if you are interested in that, you can see me, but please sign up today um, for that so we know how much food to have for next Sunday. In a couple of weeks, on October 29th, we're going to have our fall festival. That'll be from 5 to 7 on October 29th. And so we have uh, Trunk or Treat, Bounce Houses, Door Prizes, all of those things. So if you know anyone interested in that, there's some cards that you can pass out um, we do need more cakes for the cakewalk, if you'd like to make a cake, or if you'd like to decorate a trunk, we always um, are appreciative to that. So, all that's happening October 29th, and the final announcement I want to make um, before we go to our call of worship is just a reminder of our format now for children's church. So, since we've had such an influx of, of kids and students, which we are so grateful about, we, we have made it to where our pre-K through second grade— go to children's church in the children's building, and for age, for grades three through five, we have what we're calling a student learning and application pack, or sermon listening and application pack, and so what that is is a, a pack where you can take notes here during the sermon um, for third through fifth graders, and then at the end, you can turn that in, and uh, you can get a prize that goes along with your sermon listening sheet, so if you want one of those, you're more than welcome to get up and go. They're, they're on the welcome desk. Uh, Sarah Beth Bledsoe's back there, but we are—we want to serve you in that way, and so we're excited about um, having those available. Um, the last announcement is from our sound guys. So, um, on behalf of the church and on behalf of um, the pastoral staff, um, we all just want to thank you for your patience. We have a new sound system, and uh, when things like that happen, there's a learning curve and so um, we just want to, to thank you for your patience and understanding as we've worked to install the new digital soundboard um, we're all learning some of us had to learn a lot more than others and we're thankful that they had to do that so uh, but we want to thank them for their work in getting the sound system set up and uh, thank you for your patience um, in that process so all of that to say we're glad that you're here and we're excited to worship with you i'm going to ask um, jeff rude who told me he would be behind me, to come forward, and he's going to read our call to worship.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Hey, before I start, Billy, Billy Vaughn. Good to see you, Billy. (laughs) We missed you, Billy. So, so the passages that I'm going to be reading today is Psalm 19, when I text Bryson yesterday, what verses I'm reading, he just replied back, Psalms 19, I thought, really? All, oh. But I can be thankful you didn't say Psalms 119, because we would be here for a while. But this is a psalm of, uh, of David, and as you know, David was a man after God's own heart. So verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour, pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its of its warmth, and I'm thankful for that because it's a little chilly outside today, but the sun's going to shine. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise to the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this psalm talks about all the glory that's in the heavens. And I think it was Matthew Henry said the beasts look down as, as they travel across the earth, but man looks up. And that's where our souls going to go. Unfortunately, many of those souls that go to heaven will not stay there long because they didn't believe in you. So we pray for those, Lord. And we we thank you that we go outside and see the sunshine, just placed upon our hearts to think of you anytime we see your glory. In your word, David talks about your word, Lord. It is true, and it it is a guide for us. And the last thing David talks about is our sins, Lord. But Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. We ask you to be over this service today, Jesus. We invite you to this service and bless each part of it. Go with us this week and lead us, guys, to direct us in all your ways. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
2: Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing to God be the glory.
3: The Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me,
2: bless His holy name. You may be seated. I know there's a lot more of y'all sitting in front of us than with us, right? I just going to make sure y'all knew that because, you know, Christmas is everybody's favorite time to sing, and it sure would be nice for us to have a lot more voices in the choir for Christmas, and, and I'm, I'm begging you because I won't be in front of them for Christmas, and we really need voices, um, and you don't have to be a great voice. You just got to love to sing for Jesus, and that's really it, and when they all come together, it's a joyful noise. So, really, we're kind of begging y'all to come back to the choir and join us in the choir. Um, we're going to meet today at 4.30 so that people have time to get to the association at 6. And we will meet next week, um, probably at that same time, because we're learning music to sing with the Franklin Community, Community Choir, too. Um, but we have a good mix of music coming up. We've got a Natalie Grant song we're going to sing. We've got some more Southern Gospel stuff like this. So, y'all please consider and pray about coming and joining us today at 4.30 for choir. If you'll stand, we're going to sing Come Thou Fount together. This morning, dear gracious heavenly Father God, Lord, thank you so much for just allowing us to come into Your house and worship together this morning, God. I'm um, going to sing praises to Your name, Lord, um, because to You be all glory, Lord. We just pray um, that You bless us this morning through this time of study. Um, we pray that You speak clearly through Bryson, and God, and we just thank You for the message that He's prepared for us out of Isaiah, God. Lord, um, may we just be reminded that it is to You and to Your glory that we do all things. And we just love you and praise you and thank you for your sweet, sweet presence in this place, God. And we pray that you be with us and be with our children's workers and the kids who are studying with us in this building and the ones who are in children's church, God. Lord, thank you for our nursery workers as well. May you just receive all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So children second grade and under are going to Children's Church in the back.
0: Have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 48. Isaiah chapter 48 is where we're going to be this morning in our walk through the mountaintops of Isaiah, the study that will lead us to Advent. So we are going 20 weeks in the book of Isaiah, and today we come to Isaiah 48. And as I began to study for this passage, um, I began to think about there's one word. In the past three years, but especially in the past year, that I have found has entered my vocabulary more and more and more, and that is the word listen. You'll be amazed at how quickly we move from telling our babies, talk to me, to telling our toddlers, hey, listen to me. As Charlie has gone from two to three, I've used the word listen more than I ever have in my entire life in one way or another, listen Listen up, look at me, hear me, did you hear me? It's amazing how quickly that shift takes place. And in where we're at in Isaiah, 106 times the word for listen or hear me is used in the book of Isaiah. The word is Shema. And a third of those uses are found in Isaiah 40 through 48. And 11 times in the chapter we're going to read this morning, that word is used, listen, hear me. These chapters from 40 through 48, where we've been for the past several weeks since homecoming, is God, through Isaiah, speaking to a people who will be exiled in Babylon, who will be taken from their home and taken to Babylon. And so in these eight chapters, Isaiah speaks to these people, and many times he speaks leading up to this with the word listen. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to what God says through me. And like I said, 11 times in the, in the 22 verses of Isaiah 48, this word is used in one form or another. And this word is always presented with the idea, with the thought of listening in order to act. Listening in order to respond. Not just to hear what Isaiah says, but to hear it with the intent of it creating change. And so what does God want his people to hear this morning? How is it that he wants them to respond? In chapter 48, we're going to read verses 1 through 16, but our focus is going to be on verses 1 through 11. I believe what he wants them to hear and what he wants them to know is that God works and moves in order to transform the hearts of his people and bring glory to his name. And so the title of today's message is God Works for God's Glory. God Works for God's Glory. So let's go together, Glenlock Baptist Church. Let us listen to Isaiah 48, 1-16. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel and come forth from the line of Judah. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord. And invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron and your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to to you so that you could not say my images brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. You have heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them or proclaim them? Middle of verse six. From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today, so you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. Verse 10, see, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Once again, listen to me, Jacob, Israel whom I've called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens when I summoned them. They stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him and he will succeed in his mission. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. Let us pray lord we love you we thank you for your word we thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word lord and we thank you that you work and you move and you speak lord for your glory i pray that you would move us this morning to worship you in your name we pray amen isaiah 48 1 through 16 god works for God's glory. And so as we begin our message together, we have four points this morning. And point number one is this. God speaks for his glory. God speaks for his glory. As, I, as, I, as they addresses the, the people in the first two verses, he goes through a list of descriptions. I don't know if you noticed them as we first went through. There are seven descriptions he makes of the people he's addressing. So you notice he says, first off, you descendants of Jacob. Secondly, you who are called by the name of Israel. Thirdly, you who come from the line of Judah. Fourth, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord. Fifth, you who invoke the God of Israel. Sixth, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city. And seventh, you who claim to rely on the God of Israel. Each of these descriptions point to the fact that Isaiah is addressing his, uh, God's people. Right, God, through Isaiah, is addressing the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, the people who have come forth from Judah. He's talking to his people, and he makes this well known, because in, in chapter 47, he's speaking to the Babylonians, and so now in 48, he wants it to be utterly clear that he is speaking to his people through Isaiah. The first addresses come to look at their identity the second address has come to look at their activity notice that notice that the, the difference is there the first they say this is who you are the second this is what you've been doing all of these descriptions point to the fact that these are people who possess a religious identity and perform religious activities They point to a people who refer to themselves as God's people and rehearse the functions of God's people. But what we find in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, is that there is a caveat to this description. If you notice when you read it, Isaiah throws on the brakes to this introduction with the phrase this, but not in truth or righteousness. If you look at verse 1, look at what he says. He says, you are called by the name of Israel. You come from the line of Judah. You take oaths in the name of the Lord. You invoke the the God of Israel, but, he says, not in truth or righteousness. When I read this, I thought of some of the cooking shows that Brooke and I watch, because we're getting to that age. That's what we watch. And so, oftentimes, what you'll find is the judges will eat a bite of food, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, you know, only, I'm amazed by you. This, only you could take these Wonderful ingredients and this amazing kitchen and make something this incredibly bad And so they set you up for this idea that this is going to be something good, right? They're going to tell me something good and then at the last moment or in the middle of the phrase You realize that this isn't a this isn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. This isn't a a a well-done This is a what are you doing? And so in the midst of this introduction as Isaiah says all of these wonderful things about who Israel is and what they're doing. He throws on the brakes and he says, but you are doing none of this in truth and you're doing none of it in righteousness. There's an abrupt shift that takes place. And as we look at the way the audience is described here, we see a pattern, or at least I do. And the pattern is this, is that all who they are and all of what they do is based on them. Notice what it says, it says, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord, you who invoke the God of Israel, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city, you who claim to rely on the God of Israel, the focus has been on their functions and their actions. And what Isaiah seems to be making clear is that it is possible to carry out worshipful activity and to not be worshiping at all. It is possible to do the things of God and not trust in God. It is possible to claim the name Christian and really not believe at all. The accusation is that the faith of the Israelites is nominal or by name at best and more likely imaginary. They do the work and have the name, but they do not do it in truth or in righteousness. As Isaiah stated earlier in Isaiah 29, 16, and as Jesus quoted in Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. The faith that the Israelites are expressing are based upon their works and their actions and who they call themselves. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, is faith that finds its root in mere human activity and its expression in heartless lip service really faith at all? Is faith that's based upon you calling yourself something and you doing the motions of religion, is that really faith at all? And the biblical answer would say no. You can say what you want, and you can do what you want, but unless you are fully dependent on the God you claim, that is not true faith. Commentator Gary Smith says, God has never been greatly impressed with good actors who can play their part, repeat all the right lines, or pretend that they know know and deeply love him. His truth will unmask the fraud in every person's life. And so I want us to be honest here. I want us to be self-evaluating. This is an area of life that I begin to find myself falling susceptible to. A pastor that I listen to called, named Tony Morita, he calls it Christian professionalism. And what it looks like is playing the part without the heart. Saying the names and doing the functions but without the convictions. And so what does God do in order to transform his people's thinking? How does he respond to this? What is God's go-to move when it comes to pulling people out of the sea of indifference that we find ourselves in? He reminds them who he is. If you notice at the end of verse 2, He says, You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel. But then he says this, The Lord Almighty is his name it is if god says to the israelites put some respect on my name do you know who you're talking about do you know who you're referring to you take oaths in my name you invoke my name you claim to rely on my name well this is my name i am the lord almighty i am yahweh i'm the lord of hosts i'm the god of the angel armies if you look at verse 12 he continues talking about himself look what he says he says listen Israel whom I've called I am he I am the first and the last I am my own hand laid the foundations of the earth my right hand spread out the heavens I am creator God I am sustainer God I am transcendent God I am majestic God and so when we begin to feel ourselves falling into this trap of just thinking of God as a Little God, God says, Listen, remember who I am. In this description of God, we find that God, simply because of who He is, requires wholehearted obedience. Recently, we just finished a study in the Gospel of John with our students that goes through the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And what we learned and what we told our students every single week is that Jesus does not leave room for you to be half in. God does not leave room for partial faith. It's the same thing that We hear in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, either he's lunatic or he's Lord. Either we run towards him or run away from him. And so Isaiah speaks to these people and says, either you're in or you're out. The very fact of who God is requires you to be all in or all out. But not only does God require it, he desires it. How do we know this? Because the same God who transcends time and space and is the God of angel armies speaks through his word to people like you and me. Isn't it amazing that God who has an army of angels looks down and says, I want all of you. That he speaks through Isaiah to a people who have rebelled against him since the beginning of time and says, you are called to fully obey me. As we think about the word listen, we can go back to, De- to Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's literally a, a passage of script- scripture called the Shema that the Jews would have repeated twice a day, every day. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. What does God say to his people in exile? What does he want them to listen and to know that when God speaks, he does so for the sake of his own glory? And he's calling them to listen and to know that he is God, and that means that he deserves the praise. He deserves devotion. He deserves all of who you are. God is not a God of half faith. He's a God of whole faith. And so God says that in verses 1 and 2 through Isaiah. And then we move on to our second point. God acts for his glory. So God speaks for his glory, and God acts for his glory. So in 3 through 6, God continues to speak to his people. And in verse 3, he reminds them that throughout their history, he has made a habit of making and keeping his promises. Look at what he says in verse 3. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. In three different ways, he lets them know, listen, I have spoken. I have told you over and over again what I was going to do. And what is interesting is that the term for I made them known is the same word for listen. It's shema. And so what God is ultimately saying is not only have I foretold and declared these former things, but I made sure you heard them. (laughs) But let us consider for a moment what makes God unique in his proclamation of what he calls the former things. Because we all know that there's a lot of people willing to give you their opinion. Many of you may have done the same thing that I usually do on Saturday mornings yesterday, is you turn on ESPN and you watch four guys predict what's gonna happen that day. And for some reason, they they can make me sit there for three hours, listening to them talk about what might happen in every game. And all I know is four of them yesterday picked Kentucky to win, and that didn't happen. And so as we see, a lot of times they're wrong. I follow a a page on Instagram called Freezing Cold Takes. Basically what they do is they listen to people give their opinions on stuff, and when it doesn't come true, they post about it and let them know, hey, you were wrong. And it happens multiple times a day. So it is not rare for someone to give their prediction. It's not rare for someone to proclaim something is going to happen. But what is rare is what the end of verse 3 says. God not only foretells the former things, he not only announces them, he not only makes them known. And then he says in verse 3, but then I suddenly act and they come to pass. What What is God saying to his people? I am faithful. I am faithful. Over and over and over again in the history of Israel, God has told them something's going to happen and made it happen. God has told them something's going to happen and made it happen. But for some reason, Israel keeps not believing that what God says is going to happen is going to happen. And so he says, because I know you and because I know that you're stubborn, that's what it says in verse 4, because I know that you you have a head like brass, because I know you have a neck like like iron, I have over and over and over again shown myself faithful to my word. I have acted over and over and over again showing you that you can trust me because you are so unwilling to do so. And isn't that us? Hasn't God shown himself over and over again to be faithful, yet over and over again we look in every other place to find trust and to find hope and to find faith? One specific example of their stubbornness, of their unfaithfulness, is the fact that oftentimes they would even take what God has done and they would attribute it to idols. If you look at what verse 5 says, it says, I've done all these things. I've told you these things long ago before they happened. I announced them to to you so that you could not say, my images brought them about. My wooden image and my metal God ordained them. One prime example of this is found in Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, God has brought the people out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the the law from the Lord. And in Exodus 32, 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And they have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. And listen to this. And they have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So on the tail end of this work of God for the people of Israel, they create a calf and they say, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And we often do the same. We may not have wooden images and metal gods, but we have idols in our lives that we are quick to attribute the works of God to. We must ask ourselves the question, what systems or what persons do I look to as the ultimate source of my trust? Because if it's anybody other than God, there's your idol. God is more faithful than your job. God is more faithful than your education. God is more faithful than your parents. God is more faithful than your kids, God is more faithful than your plans, God is more faithful than your pastor, God is more faithful than your political party. And so when he speaks to them, he says, when I speak and I act, I do so for my glory that you may know that I am God and I am faithful and you can trust me. And so Glenlock Baptist Church, we need to hear this for ourselves. Who do you place your trust in? Because the application of this comes clear in verse 6. He says, you have heard these things, look at them, will you not admit them? God calls us to quit resisting the reality of what God has done, what God has spoken, what God has said, and come to the reality of living every day trusting that he has kept his promises, that he is true and faithful. God said Abraham will have a son, and he had a son. God said Israel will have a king, and they had a king. God said David will have an heir, and they had an heir. And In Isaiah 53, God is about to say there's another servant coming who's going to take your punishment on the cross. He's going to be pierced for your transgressions. He's going to be Taken to the cross for your iniquities. And 700 years later, a baby's going to be born in a manger and he's going to live a perfect life and he's going to die on the cross. And once again, God is going to show himself to be faithful. And so do we trust God to be faithful? Do we know that God's acts do not speak to the glory of idols, but they speak to the glory of the one who made them come to be? Look at the faithfulness of God and declare it to yourself and to those around you. It's the same thing that God is saying to Israel. Have you not seen them? Admit them and declare them. Thirdly, God plans for his glory. God plans for his glory. And so in the middle of verse 6, we see a shift. He's been talking about the former things. Now look at verse 6. He says, from now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you, he says they're created now, or really the better word is they're revealed now, or they're brought to bear now, not long ago. You have not heard them of them before today, so you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. So after establishing that he is faithful and that he acts for his glory, God then says, I plan for my glory. You need to know, people, that I was faithful then and I am faithful now. I had a plan then and I have a plan now. But what seems to be apparent is that there are aspects of this plan that will remain unknown to the people. He says, listen, I'm announcing these now. These are things that were hidden or unknown to you. And often the Bible speaks of the fact that God reveals what is necessary but doesn't always reveal all. If we go to the Gospels, over and over again it says that the disciples were shielded from understanding that Jesus was going to go to the cross. Noah was called to build the ark, but only God knew when the rain would begin. In Acts 1, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, his disciples ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so why is it that God operates this way? Why is it that we don't know every detail about what's going to happen? It's because God plans for God's glory. God knows that if he reveals his plans fully, then we would do all that we could to take credit for those plans. we 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 would be so obsessed with knowing what's coming next that we would miss what he's calling us to do right now. We are so obsessed with knowledge And so obsessed with what's going to happen that oftentimes God is calling us to be faithful and trusting right where we are. But we're too obsessed with what may happen tomorrow to be faithful today. And so God says, listen, I have a plan. I prove prove myself faithful. You can trust it. Trust that the plan I have for tomorrow is as faithful and just as the plan as I had yesterday. And so as he speaks to these people, he's protecting them. He's protecting them from their obsession with knowledge. He's protecting them from their obsession with knowing. He's a, he's a protecting them from themselves. When I thought about this, I remember there was, I had a kid in my, a lot of my classes when I was in high school that would ask a question and then answer it. That shows the heart of who we are. We want so badly to be right about the next thing that we'll ask the question so we can give the right answer. But what God says is often it's better for us to wait and listen and trust and pray than it is to know everything that's coming. You were not made to bear the weight of that, but God God can bear the weight of that. The truth is that we aren't strong enough to hold the weight of the world on our shoulders, but God is. So know that when God doesn't give you every detail when you don't know what God's plan is for you 50 years from now he's not doing that to make things hard on you he's doing that to make things well with you and to give you peace in the moment that you're in and not only is God protecting us when he works in this way but he's also protecting his plan notice what verse 8 says He says, you have neither heard nor understood. From old, your ears have not been opened. Well, do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. Although we don't fully understand God, he fully understands us. And he knows that if we knew every plan and every detail of our lives, we would run in the opposite direction of what he has planned for us. In Matthew 16, when Peter finally realizes that that Jesus is going to go to the cross, what does he say? Matthew 16, Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him. I'd like to be in that conversation. Peter rebuking the one who created the heavens and the earth. And Peter began to rebuke him. And he said, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This week, the students, we had a mission emphasis on Thursday and Friday, where we did mission work in our community. And on Tuesday, I got a call from my mom that Charlie was sick. And on Wednesday, he wanted Dad Dad in his room all night. So I was up all night Wednesday night, sleeping in a fetal position at the edge of his bed. And I remember saying Thursday morning, if I'd have known how this week was going to go, I never would have planned to do this mission work. But isn't that how we are? If God would have told me what was going to happen this week, I would have ran from what he called me to do Thursday and Friday. If, if the Israelites would have known how bad it was in the wilderness, they never would have left Egypt. God knows that if we knew, we would rebel. And so he says, listen, I have a plan for you. You can trust that I have a plan for you, and you can trust that it's better that you don't know every detail of the plan I have for you. Because it's my plan, and it's for my glory. So what are we called to do we are called to trust God and his plan today we must know that God has been in control from eternity past and he will be in control to eternity future and all he asks is that we trust today Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot says it this way today is mine tomorrow is none of my business If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. Trust God today and leave tomorrow to him. And lastly, God redeems for his glory. God redeems for his glory. So, so far he has spoken for his glory. He's acted for his glory. He's planned for his glory. Now he redeems for his glory. And so, when we look at this last section, all of this section really finds its, finds its climax right here in, in 9 through 11. For the past eight chapters, God has been speaking about the fact that this people isn't going to be in Babylon and they've been driven from their land. He's described why they've been exiled. He said that they, are, they lack integrity, they're stubborn, they're unresponsive, they're treacherous, um, they're rebellious. And it would be expected that the next thing out of God's mouth is that's why I'm going to leave you in Babylon forever. If I was God, and people treated me this way, I'd say, forget you, and I'd move on, and I'd go and do my own thing, and I would forget the people forever, but luckily for you, I'm not God. And so as we look at this, what does God say in verses 9 through 11? He says, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you. Completely. See, I've refined you, those not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. It is clear from the rest of the text that complete destruction is what Israel deserves. And if you read all of the Bible, you will realize that it is clear from the scriptures that you and I, all we deserve is complete destruction. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to be dead in our sins and our transgressions. But instead of destruction, what is presented is a reality that God will delay or defer his wrath from Israel. That he will hold it back from them and not destroy them for his own glory and for his own name. Ultimately, what we see is God's primary motivation for withholding his wrath and redeeming his people is God himself. In Exodus 32, when we go back to the story of Moses on Sinai, God says, your people have done this. And what does Moses says? Moses sought the favor of the Lord, and he said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? You notice what Moses says, he, he appeals to God's name. He says, why should the Egyptians get the chance to say, look at what this God did, he destroyed his people. And in this moment, why should Babylon get the chance to say, well, what a great God this is, he exiled his people. No, he says, because of my namesake, for my glory, the fact that I can't give my glory to another, I will redeem my people because my name is attached to my people. And so when we begin to think about why did God save me, we have to get the focus off of the good things that we've done And we have to place them on the character of who God is. Why did God save me? For his glory. Why did God redeem me? For his glory. Why did God pour his love into my heart so that I would pour out praise to him? Why would God show grace and mercy to me that I may show his grace and mercy to those around me we need to see the picture here that grace and mercy and love are at the heart of god but ultimately at the heart of god is god and that all that he does ultimately points to his desire and his his preeminence to be worshiped by all people if israel would have stayed in egypt and if israel would have stayed in babylon then Egypt and Babylon could have boasted about how great they were, but instead God redeems his people. He brings them out of the furnace of affliction so that all nations in the whole world will know that he is God and no one else is. And that he may be praised for who he is. And what we must notice here is that although the Israelites have been refined and although they have gone through the furnace of affliction, although they will be redeemed, there's still a problem that remains that they are a sinful people. Whether they're in Babylon or whether they're in Egypt or whether in Jerusalem, they are still a sinful rebellious people. So how does God ultimately redeem his people from their greatest need? In verses 14 and verse 14 it says, "Come together all of you and listen. Which of the idols have foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon." His arms will be against the Babylonians. God is letting them know that he is sending Cyrus. He's sending this human redeemer to go and and save his people out of exile in Babylon. But what we come to know is that God raises up another redeemer. He will raise up another servant who will yield not a sword, but will yield the spirit. And rather than using his servant to defer his anger he will pour out his wrath on this servant on the cross. And what we will find is this servant will be one who redeems us, not from exile, but from sin. Who redeems us not from Egypt, but from death. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you walked according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive with Christ. And notice what it says at the end of verse 6 and 7 of Ephesians 2. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So as we close, church, I want us to remember that God works for his glory. And so you were redeemed, you were saved, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. You were redeemed, you were saved, not to bring glory to your name, but to bring glory to his name. You were redeemed, you were saved, so that the love and the grace of God poured into your life through your salvation, would pour out of your life in praise and worship for who he is. Why does God work and move and speak? He does so to transform the hearts of His people and to bring glory to His name. God is faithful. God can be trusted. God has a plan. And God has redeemed you for His glory. So as we close today, I just want to leave you with four conclusions. I know, not four points, just four conclusions. Okay, One, Listen with the intent to change. Two, declare that God is faithful. Three, trust that God has a plan. And four, worship because God has redeemed you. God did am- amazing work in the lives of the people of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of Babylon. But God has done an even greater work in your life if he's brought you out of sin and death. So let us as a people know that God gets the glory for God's work. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Lord, as I consider your word, Lord, I'm amazed that you would work and move in such a way that you would save someone like me. Lord, but I know that in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances, Lord, you have your glory in mind, Lord, that you work for your namesake, Lord. And so I pray that in all that I do as a child of God, someone who's been redeemed, Lord, that all that I would do would know and work and move in such a way to bring glory to you. What can I give to a God who has everything? Simply my thankfulness and my praise and my worship lord we were saved to worship we were saved to honor you we were saved to praise you that all may know how good and mighty and great is the lord our god and so may we come together as a church as a people lord and worship you in honor and in truth and in righteousness lord maybe wholeheartedly follow you in all that we do lord may our May our profession of faith not be simply by name or by action, but by true, consistent conviction to the fact that you are God and we are not. Lord, may we worship you in every single way that we can. In your name we pray. Amen. As we stand together and sing, if you need to come forward and have any decisions that need to be made, you come forward as we sing. Night, no services here. We will have choir at 4 um, 30, but no services after that. And then back to normal schedule on Wednesday night after fall break. So that will be back to our normal uh, schedule. Don't forget, parent partnership lunch next week. If you are interested in that, um, you are more than welcome to uh, sign up, ask me any questions. I'll be in the back. And uh, fall festival coming up October 29th. So if you'd like to bring a dessert or do a trunk or whatever, we would love for you to be a part of that as well. So. As we close, any other, anything else? That's it. All right. So, Catherine's going to lead us as we close. It's at Mount Pleasant. Yeah, if you want to go to the Carrollton Baptist Association, um, the annual meeting is at Mount Pleasant at 6 o'clock tonight.
2: Let's sing the doxology together this morning.
3: Praise. a good week.